pastor of this church. There was a man had a stroke. Was in the uh, hospital on a Wednesday night. When I got here, the first night I was here, we all came to the altar. We prayed for him. Uh, the report was that he wasn't recognizing anybody. Didn't recognize his family. Didn't recognize anybody. That was on a Wednesday night. We prayed for him to be healed, and he was in church Sunday. So, uh, God did what we asked Him to do, uh, and He's faithful. Uh, are there any other praises and prayer requests? Um, okay. Uh, I do have an announcement to make. Uh, I think it's March the 7th is the first Sunday in March. We will be going full-time. Uh, Sunday school... Uh, back to normal. Um, yeah, amen. Um, like I said, from the pulpit Sunday, it's not rocket science. If you're sick, stay home. If you're sickly, decide what the risk versus the rewards are. And if you're well, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. So, not like I said, it's not right the time. And if you're not comfortable, by all means, stay home. So, uh, any other? We're going to have communion, yes, ma'am. We're going to have communion on the seventh. On the seventh, we're going to do communion on the seventh. Um, they are open back up. I think it's a great way to 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 commemorate our opening and remember Christ. Um, any other anything anybody have anything they would like to add or offer uh, huh? I can move the microphone okay okay speak up Jeff yes sir okay. what do you need I didn't turn them off on. I just turned them on, I guess. I'm not in charge of that. No. That's uh, beyond my pay grade. Um, nice to see the sun. Yes. Yes. A couple days anyway, and then it'll probably go back, you know, before our mud dehydrates, we'll get some more. Um, so, uh, any other... Anything got anybody got anything they want to add? If not, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Alright. Most glorious Lord God, we love you and we thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to uh, forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings. Lord, we come before you tonight. Uh, we ask you to open up your word to us. Lord, let us let us learn and glean what you would have us glean from this. Uh, Lord, we ask you to uh, allow everything that's done here tonight to be pleasing to you. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to touch the hearts that need to be touched. Um, we ask you, Lord, to convict the convictions that need to be convicted. Uh, Lord, we just love you. And we know that you're in control. And we know that we're honoring you and what we're doing. And we just ask you to give us the wisdom and the words to say to uh, inspire your people. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, chapter 7. Um, starts out uh, well that's an, just kind of an overview thing here to start with you know uh, remembering that it was this is the end uh, of a speech given by Jesus covering chapters 5, 6, and 7 um, uh, each different paragraph of the sermon is simply an application or an example of how we should let God rule our lives. And, uh, and so uh, this is a moment-by-moment battle uh, in our lives. 
as we go through our lives uh, where we have to put our egos uh, uh, in check because uh, our egos constantly wants to be in charge of us. Uh, and uh, so this is a, uh, as Christian, we should ponder who is in charge of my life right now. God or me. And so Jesus is going to walk us through this. And we get started in this, and I'm going to yield to my brother. We get started uh, and with the first section about uh, do not judge. And so we can go through this, and so if one of you want to... Uh, to embrace that or start it, I can. I got. I got a lot. I got here. I, I'm still using my notes from school, so uh, I, I can. I can get down in the nitty gritty. So we're good. Let's go. You want to start, Rod? Well, you got to step back to the historical part of this first. Right. That what's going on in the background of everything, but the background is simple. The background is the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is now still teaching his disciples. He's telling them sayings, sayings. It ends in sayings. The last few verses of this chapter talk about sayings. That hasn't popped up. And these sayings are a number of things. And the first one, which Jerry said, was... Do not judge lest ye be judged. Judgment is his commandment to judge. Judge ye what you're going to do. Judge whether you have a deacon or an elder of the church. Judge is not what the operative word or the imperative here is. Don't critically condemn Don't condemn anybody. Don't condemn them for anything. These are your brothers and sisters. Do not condemn. But Jesus uses them hyperbole, plank, pearls, gate, serpent, wolves, and the rock. He's using extreme words here to get attention because the Pharisees have been carrying this through as the teachers of the law in this hypocrisy that the disciples are totally steeped in. They're totally steeped in it. Sorry. And in steep, being steeped in this hypocrisy, this is the setting that Jesus begins. This historical launching of how to do things. Again, the paradigm shift. He's throwing everything into chaos here for disciples are going, whoa, wait a minute, what? He's saying, look, during this time the Pharisees were judging God Himself. The Pharisees are judging Jesus Christ as God. They are making critical condemnation of Jesus Christ. He's telling them, don't do this. Simple. Simple statement, but kind of misunderstood. Critical judgment. The um, we are called to judge, though, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, we need to be very careful to what Matthew was saying here, because there's a couple other spots where we pick up. You know, here we see. <laughs> you are doing awful today. So that would be. <laughs> we see that uh, he's telling us not to judge, but then we look at Jesus' words all the way in John 24, where he's mm-hmm. telling us to judge in the right judgment. Right? Remember, so this is he's. He's talking at the Feast of Booths. People are like, who is this guy? He's not learned Jew like the rest of us. Why is he doing this? Why is he teaching like this? I mean, there's stuff about doing things on the Sabbath day. And Christ's words exactly are, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with the right judgment. Yeah. And of course, we have some other things. You know, Paul's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 5. And then in, to, to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 3, where we're judging people's actions. I mean, we are actually looking at what people are doing, and it's sinful. The, the right judgment is the key here when Jesus right. says judge in the right judgment. Right. I don't go before a brother and say, you're going to hell. <laughs> yeah. That's not that's that's only God's judgment. Right. But I, we are called, obviously, as the church, 
to look at one another and keep each other accountable. And we're also called to be discerning, right? So right. if you're sitting in a church where a pastor or a preacher or a teacher is teaching something that is out of line, you don't just sit under that church. You make a judgment, mm-hmm. a discernment based on this rule book, and you judge your own walk. This is really important. It kind of seems like here, Matthew's making a point that the Jews were just judgy, right? right. They were the kind of people who would look at you and be like, oh, no, you're not following the law. You're not getting it to happen. So they were judging, right? They were judging according to the law, but the way they were doing it wouldn't allow the gospel right. to go out right. with the good news. Right. It was not a loving rebuke. Yeah. Unlike that, it was a judgmental way that only lifted themselves up as the pharisaical, right. like, look at me, so mm-hmm. I'm following. Of course, we're going to see right. examples of that, right? Going to Christ and saying, hey, I'm following the law. What else do I need to do? That's quite judging. Like, look at all these other people, right? Who does he go there next to? A tax collector. Right. Look at me. I follow the law. Look at that guy. So that's really judging, right? And he's saying, don't do that. Right. Well, it, yes, exactly. He said, you know, first off, we need to understand that, that Jesus is not saying that if you judge people, you'll go to hell. He's not saying that. Uh, our salvation, excuse me, our salvation is, is determined only by accepting Jesus Christ's payment uh, for our sins. And verse 1 uh, he's talking about what people will do to us if we have a judgmental attitude. And that's what the Pharisees had. They were good. They had a judgmental attitude. Uh, not only but uh, about others, but they had it about the law. Uh, and also, we need to remember that uh, Jesus judged lots of people. I mean, and most, you know, most of us realize that you know, Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. That, that's a judgment. Not, but the great thing about him was he can see the hearts of men we cannot. We could, huh? Pit of vipers. Yeah, pit of vipers. Yeah, uh, he 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 just kept it on. Uh, but there are three views as to what Jesus meant. Uh, do not judge. And, and the first uh, is that Jesus is teaching us to judge behavioral and not motivation. The second view is that Jesus. Uh, that we shouldn't judge whether or not people are getting saved. Uh, if you judge people as if you are sure that they're saved uh, or unsafe, people will treat and judge you the same way. Alright? Uh, God can choose to save anybody. That's, that's indisputable. God can choose to save anybody. We don't know who is in and we don't know who is out of hell. We don't know. Uh, we're sitting right here right now. We assume, all of us assume that we're in. But we don't know. Well, I know, but I mean, I know about me. You know about you. But I don't, you know. So anyway, uh, the view is that uh, is that Jesus is not not telling us that to, to change of, of our... He's not... Jesus is not changing our eternal judgment. Moreover, the Father judges. He's the one who does the judging. The Father. The, remember it? Because that's what they're saying. But who's actually going to do the judging? The Son. Uh, and so in John 5.22 gets that a little bit better. Uh, the third view is that Jesus is talking about our behavior as Christians. Now, I believe this view fits best in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The same way we treat others is how we're going to be treated. Golden rule. Alright? Uh, this is about getting our ego off of our judgment throne. And, and that's the big thing. Getting our ego, getting our pride out of the way, and letting Christ do what He does through the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, Jesus said here, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. An old expression uh, that kind of fits a little bit. You might put it a different way. What goes around comes around. If you're going to be ugly and nasty to other people, guess what you're going to reap? You know, you reap what you sow. All of these are tied in together. And that's what he's telling us here about judging. You know, you can judge. We have to make judgment calls every day. We have to judge people. But I don't have to. I don't have to judge and tell them they're going to hell or not going to hell. I mean, my job is to give them the, the good news and let the Holy Spirit do that job. 
I wonder, you ever wonder if the guys, the disciples that were sitting around him mm-hmm. chuckled when he got to the end of the part of this? Because do you see where Jesus contradicts himself yeah. in this thing? <laughs> he sits and he tells them not to judge one another, to remove the plank from your own, from your own eye. Right. And then he says, you hypocrites! Yeah. He was like, well, that was a little judgy. <laughs> Just call me a hypocrite. I haven't even said anything. I'm standing here listening to you, man. Yeah. So it's, well, it's interesting that you said it, yeah. is that this is not a salvation judgment. No, this no. is about the way that they right. interact with each other as disciples. Yeah. And you know, it goes on, you know, uh, you know, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye, you know? Uh, uh, so how, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye. When all the time you have a plank in your face. Uh, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. You know, a Pharisee, why do you want to pick a speck out of the dust in someone else's eye when you have a beam of wood plastered in your face? Uh, it's an exaggeration in order to make a point. The point is, why are we judging somebody else's sin when we're just as guilty of the same sin? The things that make us angry the most and other people are the things most of the time that we're guilty of. And that's what he's saying here. You know, look, you know, they had a, when I went to instructor school, and I'm sure you did the same thing, uh, they teach you the same thing. When you talk and point, you use your hand because if you use a finger, there's three of them pointing back at you. So if you use your finger and call somebody a bad name, just think you three times worse. So that's why you, you know, so uh, you got to have your own heart free. And if you realize how much you've been saved and what it cost Christ to save you, that's the same amount of forgiveness you're to give somebody else. And then he gets a little bit judgy when here when he tells yeah. people, "Don't give what is holy to the dogs, or throw your pearls before the swine." Yeah. It's like you got to be a little bit judgy to decide that someone is a dog or a pig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like if you told yeah. your neighbors they were pigs, like I can't come over anymore because you're a dirty yeah. swine. Yeah. That seems a little judgy to me. But uh, you know, I, I kind of I looked around for some references that supported where this would have come from as you know, for the, the people at the mm-hmm. time. Right. And there's really not a, I don't know if Roger found anything, but there's really not a, a huge reference to this that that is very literal in the time for Jesus as a contemporary. Um, but it's a definite judgment of those who don't accept the gospel, right. right? So it's like, why do you waste your time pouring yourself into somebody who's just right. not accepting it? Well, I think what this is yeah. really a call to is guess who doesn't save people? Yeah. Us. Yeah. So we can, you know, yeah. plant that seed however we want to put it. You can share the gospel, share that message of grace, but we don't do the work. The work is only done by well, the Holy Spirit. So we, I, I, going back to years ago, it says, it, you know, it may help to understand the Jewishness of the word dogs and pigs. A synonym for a non Jew Gentile is a wild dog. Jews believe anyone who does not accept the God of the Bible is not saved and similar to a wild dog. Pigs are not kosher. Jews never ate any part of the pig. So Jesus is teaching to not teach what is sacred to someone who has no interest in learning more about the gospel message of the Bible. Uh, He's still talking about judging others, uh, but he's stating that there are times when we are wasting our breath and time uh, criticizing others. Think about that. People who don't want to learn the Bible, you know, they were pigs. And people who were non-Jews or Gentiles, they were wild dogs. You ever seen a wild dog? They're, they're, They're pretty... And so that's what he's talking about here in the Jewishness of it. And that's about as good as I could get back then. Um, there is another. Now, he's using pearls as a hyperbole right, here. Right. And basically, he's referring in one case, that, by the way, as Duffield points out, 
and some of the interpretation of it, this this can take a lot of different facets here, of different interpretations. He's saying, don't throw your brothers and sisters to the swine and the dogs. Do not. He's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about believers in the church. How to treat those that are your brothers and sisters? These are your pearls, and the pearls. He says, you're to wisely love your brothers and sisters and not alienate them and have them trampled in the mud and cause retribution. All of these things are fitting back to the Beatitudes. They are saying, since Matthew 7, 6 is a proverb, again, it can mean lots of different contexts here. Lots of different. One of which, is this the congregation we're talking about? Don't Throw them. Don't cause division among yourselves, disciples. Hold together. Love one another. He's going to go to the golden rule here pretty quickly. And he's going to go from knowing someone and judging them to a relationship with not only the congregation, your brothers and sisters, but to God Almighty Himself. So, all of this is going to tie together so tightly yep. that pearls really means those things that are precious to your salvation, the gospel message, the people you love, the people you live with in eternity forever. Wait a minute. Whoa. Don't go either judging them or throwing them under the bus is the way yep. we say today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Jesus in Matthew fifteen twenty six, when he's answering, he's speaking to the woman, and we're talking about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. One yeah. of the things he says is, "It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." Yeah, um, so I think Roger hit, hits it right on the, the nail on the head there. You know, what is precious? Yeah. You know, we feed, we educate, we pour into our children. If we're taking that yeah. and giving it to the dogs, Jesus. Um, yeah, the, the verse is similar. This verse is also taught in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's an example. Uh, here's an example. It said, "Don't speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your word." And that's Proverbs twenty-three nine. Uh, this verse is not teaching us uh, to avoid discussions or confrontation. It's about having discernment about when and when not to continue discussing godly things with those who are not interested. Uh, it's about making good use of our time. You know, and there's an old joke uh, that goes along with this what kind of would play into this. It says, you know, don't waste your time trying to teach a pig to talk or to speak. Uh, it's a waste of time and it irritates the pig. You know, so uh, that's what we're talking about here. You know, we need to have some discernment. Uh, huh? You like that? No, this is a family joke. Between my wife and I, it's okay. obviously funny. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, Where are we now? Seven, oh, yeah, yeah, seven and eight, I guess. Like, you know. Just to sum the thing up, the nitpicking condemnations mm-hmm. of the past Christians that right. we can look at as arm back quarterbacks after the plays are all mm-hmm. done and the scores in, we can look back on Christianity and judge the Catholic Church or anything you pick. Mm-hmm. But that. Is is what brought us this great gospel message. However, it turns out, how ma- however you look at it, and I'm sure there's imperfections in the Protestant movement, but in all of that, it's easy to do some nitpicking condemnation from the armchair, relaxed, with no feedback, with no persecution, no no debate on it. Right. They can't talk. They're dead. So we got to look at what they went through and their persecution and their culture and all the things that they had to face to get to a point of bringing us the gospel message. That's a little different now. When they're bringing us the gospel message and we're sitting there in our chair and relaxed and I've done it. And I said, well, that ain't right. And that ain't right. Oh, wait a minute. You talking to them? Have you read some of their writings? 
and seen what they went through. And half the congregations is killed because they believe in adult baptism or in this or that or the other. This is what he's saying. Don't go judging this stuff unless it's in love, unless you're really discerning what really is going on. Discernment is okay in judgment. But to condemn is a little bit critical. Okay. Now rest my case. See <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the jury has to say. So we're at seven. Yeah. We get there. I found something pretty cool. Um, if you look at this, if you start looking at this in Greek, so if you read this first verse, so by first verse I mean verse seven. Right. So I guess the seventh verse. Right. Uh, ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened. So the word to you is not the original Greek. Right. So if you read it, take out the to you part. There's not a verb for that. Um, so ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. So it's kind of it kind of puts kind of a different twist yeah, on. It makes it. it a continuous command. Continuous command, and it makes yeah. it not less personal. And yeah. I think what's important about that is. This makes it hard for like the prosperity gospel to go when they're like, all you got to do is ask and it will be given to you. Right. I mean, remember, right. Christ is saying this to the disciples. He's right. talking about their salvation. Right. You know, this isn't about, hey, I need my car to get fixed or yeah. I need my bank account to right. get full. Right. He's, he's talking about the salvation right. work. And it has to be in context of the way, like Roger just got done yeah. saying, right. right out of judgmentalism right. into this. We're talking about how we talk to, respond to, pray with, live with one another. Right. It has to do with these relationships in our midst. You can't take it out of context and make this a um, every time I pray for something I'm going to get it. Right. Every time I say something or knock on the door I'm going to get something. It has to be a salvation issue and it has to do with relational between right. believers. And, and, and it means that, you know, keep asking. Mm-hmm. It means that to keep seeking and to keep knocking. You know, and that you know, we hear this, well, vain repetition. This is not vain repetition. This is what he's telling us to do. By removing that part of the Greek that's not in there, that was a filler in English to make the the, the context where we could read it. Uh, yeah, it's a continuous command. Ask, seek, knock. Uh, all the Sermon on the Mount is an impossible task without Christ's help. Can't do any of it without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Can't do any of it. Uh, the only way to ever accomplish anything taught in the Sermon on the Mount is by the power of God working in us, period. Because we've laid out. We haven't even got finished yet. But look what all he's laid out. And if you were sitting there and you were paying attention, you had to say, man. Even the Pharisees had to think, man. Uh, and so you know we have to keep asking Uh, God is promising that if we keep on asking seeking and knocking we can then trust God to answer that prayer for salvation that's exactly right well that's right yeah what are we asking for is, is the key and if we're asking and God already knows what we need and our prayer and our Lord's prayer. See, this goes back to the Lord's prayer. He already knows. And He actually answers what we ask Him. What, what do you ask for? What, what are we talking about here asking for? He answers it in the next few verses. Fish and bread for, for life. The sustenance of life. He already knows what you need. He also says the lilies are clothed. Right. And the... And, and he knows what the birds need, the fowls of their need. He already knows these things. So when you ask, what are you asking? What are you asking? What is the answer back to you? God already knows. And those are good things He gives you. He's not going to answer your prayer for a uh, list, a prattling list of things that you want in life. He's not a vending machine. He's not going to be giving you things. But listen, if something's heavy on your heart and it's outside the context of the the prayer and you ask and it's usually out of the heart, you're asking for someone else. You pray. Jerry just mentioned it. 
you ask for healing. I do believe that's a continuation of the, the, it's not a cessation of the spiritual gifts, but some of those are alive. Healing is one. God gives healing. He healed me. Um, I don't know if I even asked him, but I know I was in serious trouble when it happened. And he brought me through unbelievable little little problems. <laughs> and he's, he delivered me. But in this case, when you ask, and you're persistent, just like the woman that was persistent, even the dogs get the crumbs off the master's table. Right. That I think he gave in. We need to be careful, I think, in this. Uh, when we talk about asking and receiving, though, that when you bring up healing or a, or a spiritual gift or whatever it might be, that there's an expectation for God to deliver, mm-hmm. but you should. we have to remember that it does not mean that you're not a believer if a prayer isn't answered the way that you want right. it delivered to you. And I think there's this big chasm, especially in the American church today, especially with the strength of the prosperity gospel and some of it where it crosses over um, with some of the very charismatic stuff where there's this idea and it goes right into this planting seeds and Mm -hmm. asking God for things like, you know, very visceral things that I'm just going to get from him because... I ask. If you just continue to ask, people fall in this trap that I'm going to get it. You know, God, I want you to heal this, fill in the blank for me, and that this does not say that you are going to be healed. This is the part that is essential in this. When you go to verse 10, there's another spot in the Greek that isn't here. Will he is not here. The, The statement will he is not in the Greek. So it makes it more of a statement. If you ask for a fish, you won't get a snake. But more importantly, this whole thing isn't about you asking, is it? It's not about your prayers, is it? It's not about your desires, is it? Because the last part of Jesus teaching this prayer is, if then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give what is good to those who ask? So this is much less about our asking and much more about God's giving, His provision. He gives us our desire if it is His will to give it. I mean, alright, number two, it says, like, you know, by the way, uh, it's okay to ask for some material things. It's okay. That is, give us this day your daily bread. That's an illustration of that. But just remember, God gives us yes answers when it is His will to give it to us. Just because... He doesn't answer our, uh, a, a specific prayer we ask. Doesn't mean he didn't answer that prayer. And also, it says now, uh, before you start thinking about asking God for the big estate home or the new Mercedes or the bank account, uh, put these verses in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about our. He's talking about how we should act. Toward God, how our behavior toward Him should be. Without God intervening, it is literally impossible to live the Sermon on the Mount. We done said that. Alright? So, when we ask for good gifts from God, we should be asking to live the life that, ex- that Christ expects from us. That request will be fulfilled by God without a shadow of a doubt. It is given as a promise to us. So we should be asking for I want to live my life as you have laid out for me. I want to be what you've called me to be. I want to do what you've called me to do. Uh, And he will fulfill that request. Um, Now, some other things may come and we'll get into different types of prayers later, but some some answered prayers are used to help you build your faith. That's what you got to trust. You got to trust. Uh, but right here in this context, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about how we, his people, should live and act. So, in everything, uh, do to others what you would have them do. The golden rule, verse twelve. Uh, for this sums up the law and the prophet. 
Uh, verse 12 is a famous verse. Matthew's point is not the persistence of prayer, no. but the goodness and faithfulness of God the Father in supplying mm-hmm. needs He already knows we need and stresses His relationship with us. He yep. wants us to pray. He wants us to. Talk. He wants that relationship. Anyway, it's my last no, time. you're good. All, all, all of this is focuses. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount focuses on the internal behavior. Because the internal behavior what produces the external or external results. And then the golden rule. And everything. Yeah. Therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This yeah. is the law and the prophets. Right? So it's, it's relational. And the, the funny thing about a relational statement like this is it's kind of a call to fellowship. Mm-hmm. God didn't create us for us, He created us mm-hmm. for Him. So He creates us for fellowship with Him towards His glory. So this whole golden rule thing is kind of funny because at the end, what does the law and the prophets mean? We've talked about this. The law and the prophets is pointing to Christ. Mm-hmm. So we treat people the way we want to be treated. We live in harmony with one another because Christ, really. Right. Because that's what we're built for. Right. It's that fellowship with God. Right. I don't... I don't have a big extrapolation of information out of that. I don't, I, you know, there's not a... It's pretty much... It's pretty self-explanatory. I mean... I found something interesting. Okay. You know, when Matthew begins his golden rule, he uses a word called own, O-U-N. I'm not a Greek word guy, but that that is the word for therefore, meaning that after all these things, and what he's saying, which means that given the three previous sections of the answering father, that one therefore must follow the golden rule. The answering father in the first three sections then answers, and he says he couples it with straight, maybe that's where we're going then, straight is the gate, and and so he is tying this business of the narrow gate and everything with the golden rule. So it isn't easy to take a slap in the face and offer the other cheek. It isn't easy to do these things Jesus is, is reporting that we need to do. This goes clear back into the chapter 6 consistently and picks up on those things where Jesus is, is saying, you'll be persecuted. You know, these things will happen. This is a straight, this is a very narrow gate that you're going to be walking through. You can run all over the place and, and please yourself and do everything you want, but but this narrow gate and this narrow pathway that you're going to get on is in following these things in this transformational thing. Otherwise, you go running around to your own destruction. There, there's two ways. Destroy yourself by just yep. the wide path or take the narrow path and live. Mm-hmm. Right, Rogers. That's like perfect introduction in the next couple of verses, right? Because that's where exactly where you're going. Right. I found some pearls in this. That's my joke. Okay. I do this, so, <laughs> found some pearls in verse 13 and 14. I'll rest my case for the night because I think we're going to get there. But this idea of the narrow gate's pretty cool. I'm going to offend some people with this. So, bear with me. Wait till I get to the end. Don't be too offended, okay? There are few who find it. So that means people are looking for God. This is challenging, right? The will of man is to search for God. Is it not? How are we built? What's the Latin term? We are built in the imago Dei. We are built to search for God. Here becomes the problem, I think. And I think Christ lends to this here. I'm going to put some words in Jesus' mouth. Just slap me down if it's blasphemy, okay? (laughs) Careful, Monday nights. Is it not true that across the world in every religion and every relationship, have you ever heard this term like there's a Christ-shaped hole in your heart? Mm-hmm. It's just that people try to fill it with other stuff. Right. Right? It's like they constantly... The, we talked about this in the last verse in 12 is this desire to be in fellowship. God built us for His fellowship. Therefore, we are built to crave fellowship, especially with Him. It's just that we don't know how to get there. So it's like we fill it with stuff. We fill it with sex. We fill it with drugs. We fill it with false religions. We fill it with false gods. We fill it with money. We fill it with, you know, fill in the blank. We fill it. 
right? So there's this thing in here that it says that uh, it's like this this path to destruction is almost this desire to fill that fellowship hole with stuff that doesn't fit in the kind of the Jesus shape hole. I know that's a very kind of simplistic um, way to look at it, but none of these fit. So is the pro- this is the question, is this a problem for the anti-free will like crowd, right? So here we go. The end of verse 14 in this thing, it says, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Well, in order to find something, you have to be seeking it. You have to be finding it. But for those anti-free willers, you win. Here we go. In Greek, in the lexicon, there are few who find it is actually not there. There you go. So I knew... Yeah, I can see some people looked at me funny at first. Trust me, we're okay. But if you look at the same story over in Luke 13, 24, remember, yep. they're saying, so we're, there's a but comma in here. This is kind of cool. This, this kind of turns it all on its head, which is why I kind of love these two verses. There's a ton of theology in these two verses. So many will seek. That word that comes from Greek is this word zeteo. So this word zeteo is not just to look for. It means to desire. So it's less about just like I'm wandering around trying to find God. It's more like I have this innate desire because uh, I am man to have that fellowship, to, to fill myself with whatever that is. And then this is the other part and it says they will not be able. So that word to be able is this other cool Greek word which is iskuo which is really you know, to not have the power or the strength. Now, <laughs> there we go, right? So yeah. this is kind of cool. So they have a desire, but they don't have the strength to get there, right? So where do we know we get that strength from? The Holy Spirit, right? So this is, it lends to that whole thing with the debate with yep. free will. We can do that after, after this. I know it'll get deep in here. But it's interesting, <laughs> Luke, that the first word of this statement, and I, this was kind of my like slam dunk for this, where yeah. I was like, this is so deep. I love this stuff. Yeah. Is that in the first word of this statement, in the Luke account, not in the Matthew account, is that uh, in this one it says, many will um, will search, search or seek it. Mm-hmm. He actually uses the word, I'm going to mess this up. So don't, you got to look it up in the lexicon on your own. Yeah. But it's, and you've heard this word before, right? It's, it's agonizomai. Right? This is a pretty common word, this agonizomai, but it's the struggle or the striving. And it's like an athletic contest. Right. Now, Paul's going to use this later on, right? When he talks about agonizomai, when he boxes, he doesn't right. run or box for no reason. Right. It's that same word in Greek. But the cool thing is, it's like people don't just desire this. It's like they have this desire to fight to get there, but they can't do it because they don't have the power right. on their own to do it yeah just pretty good well again you know I, you know, uh, the only thing I, I can add is the only thing I can add is pretty interesting uh, you know uh, it, you know it says wide is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction and, and narrow is the, is the way uh, and the gate that leads to uh Eternal, you know, and I think about a couple of rock and roll songs from back in my day. You know, Highway to Hell, Why, and then Stairway to Heaven. I mean, you look at the way the traffic's going to be traveling, you know. So it kind of, I'm sure when those guys wrote those songs, this was not in their, uh, not in their vocabulary at the time. But uh, it makes a great point. and you're right. Uh, every one of us has a, has a God-given desire in us. The problem is that we snuff that. Uh, you know, we we even even in the in the un uh, this uh, few contact tribes and when they when they they have some form of a deity, um, and so. Uh, where did that come from? That come from their creator. 
And, and so anyway, uh, uh, so, so, you know, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and that way we can, we can find the way because He's the power and the sustainer. That's how we get there. Uh, and so uh, there's, not, there's not a whole lot that you can add to, to 13 and 14. There's not a whole lot. I mean, you can go deep as you want to go. Uh, uh, how deep do you want to go? I mean, it's, I, I'm a I'm a simple kind of guy, you know. Enter by the narrow gate. There's Jesus it. made the statement, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Right. And so that's God Himself saying, "This is how you get there." And so that makes all the other ways obsolete. There's only one way. That's through Jesus Christ. In in the context of this, the gate is the kingdom of God gate. Mm -hmm. This is the whole thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God. Matthew's laying it out, and he's saying, look at the teaching of the Pharisees as the background here. There are many rituals, there are many ways, they're all their style of doing things. And he's putting down a simple wind of the spiritual Holy Ghost. Common sense language. Love one another. This is a narrow way. You're going to be persecuted. It's not easy to do this. The emphasis was not on external requirements for getting through this gate, but internal transformation of the heart. He was wanting transformation of the heart of the person to get into that gate. Everything was 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 transformation, and it was His word. I think that right there. And this interpretation is for believers, although not. It was not for the lost, but it serves both. It really serves both here. According to a lot of the the folks, they. They can't really see. This was a hard thing for them to determine. Who is he talking to here in this narrow way? But he's talking to disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying primarily this is an application here for the Christian life. And it's a narrow choice. But the only life worth living, all other ways lead to a headache and destruction. I am. You're good. That was your turn. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's, there's <laughs> Makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any questions? Any comments? <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. Roger Hill talked about Matthew. When I pray, I pray because it's submission and recognizing that God is the provider of all good things. And continually reflecting that, continually ask mm-hmm. whether I get it or not. Right. That, that I'm continually seeking Him because I know it's coming from Him if it's coming. Right. And that I, I am, I can't do it. I can't do it without Him. Right. So when we talk about Matthew, that was good. Yeah. Free will is a, Jerry and I touched on a little bit. God is perfect love, correct? Yeah. With perfect love, He has to give His eternal creature, your soul, the angels, free will if it has an eternal soul. Because without free will, you cannot have love. You can't have a relationship. So my wife and I talked about this this past week. He Satan had free will because he disobeyed God. But I was also wondering why in the world, if I'm God, did he not kill Satan right then? Because perfect love is unconditional. Now he doesn't have to live with Satan for eternity. He can put him in a special place. Just like the unbeliever, he still loves the unbeliever. But that doesn't mean he has to live with the unbeliever or abide with the unbeliever. But that, but she and I talked, and I said, it was just a light came on. Free will has to be with his eternal creatures, or it's not love. Yeah. I, we've talk, kind of talked about this before when we were over the doctrines of grace, and I will default to John MacArthur on this one, where he says, somewhere between being depraved and somewhere between that area where we are built in His image and have the ability to make choices is the elect, somewhere in that middle ground. And His exact answer to this was, I don't know. Yeah. 
In fact, somewhere he, in there. But I, in fact, he quoted he quoted a, a scripture out of uh, Revelation, and he said, "To whosoever, I'm a whosoever." Yeah. Um, and when we when we did that that night, you know, we talked about John fourteen. Yeah, we talked about Jesus, uh, our God, when He judges us. If He gives one grace or if He gives one judgment, He's not treating any one of them unfairly. It's His free will to do as He sees fit, as He sees fit. So. You know, and I think we get caught up too much on our free will and don't put enough emphasis on His free will. His justice. Yeah, His justice. I mean, you know, so He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna execute justice the way He wants to execute it, when He wants to, and how He wants to. Uh, I think, you know, Sproul, Sproul kind of hit the nail on the head, and it's kind of, it's becoming a more and more famous, like, three-minute clip where he's mm-hmm. speaking with this group of people where I know you've watched because we've talked yeah. about this where yeah. you know again this is somewhere in that middle ground where he's like does it even matter to me whether it's free will or it was predestination what I know is I'm safe he gives me the he, rest assured I am secure in my salvation mm-hmm. he is bringing me to heaven with him right. and my realization is you know to go back to the Proverbs is the beginning of wisdom is Fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is fear mm-hmm. of the Lord. I should have an honest fear for Him. Right. What do you deserve, creature from the dirt mm-hmm. who started in sin, except justice? Mm-hmm. You deserve nothing. What I know now is I'm saved and I'm thankful for that. Right. And that's where that free will argument kind of starts to slide. Yeah. Here we go. It's in there somewhere, but what I do know is I'm saved and what I deserved was death. Wrath. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? Any comment? This is going to be rich after church. Verse 11, the parallel in Luke uh, Luke 11, 13 says, If you then who are able know how to do this to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. More pearls. Yeah. Any other questions? Any other comments? Anything at all? Okay. One of you guys want to close up? You want to close up? Pray with us, please. Father, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your provision. We thank You for providing us a way to return to You, Lord. We thank You for the time that we have here to share the gospel with the lost. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for the love that is shared within the walls of this church and in the outreach from this church to the community. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and for the gifts that were brought in over the last couple of weeks that we were able to share with the Life Care Pregnancy Center. And we ask, Lord, that you would use those gifts to perpetuate your kingdom, that some young ladies or some young families would just see that there are people in the community that love them and draw them mm-hmm. close to us, Lord, so that we may share the gospel with them as well. Absolutely. Father God, we, you are so wonderful, but we know that you are a just God, and we would just ask that you would give us the time, Lord, to share your word in these times. We ask for all of our blessings in the precious name of our holy and righteous Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.